Imagine a velvety green meadow dappled with sunlight. On the horizon, you can just make out a cluster of pagodas perched on a beautiful cliff. Windborn Outlander, as you set off on your journey once again, you must remember that the journey itself has meaning. And you, a tall anime traveler with a flowing cape and a long sword, are walking through an open-world role-playing game called Genshin Impact. It makes you feel like you're inside a highly produced anime movie set in an idealized and timeless Chinese world. The landscapes are lush and sparkling, and you are one of its attractive, scantily-clad characters, exploring it all. Yet buried in the depths of this world lies smoldering remains, a warning to those that dare trespass. That throne in the sky is not reserved for you. Playing it feels very metaverse, and some reviewers have called Genshin Impact gaming perfection. None will escape the flames. See for yourself. And that's not just because it is visually stunning, but because it's technically flawless, too. There's no glitchy music or characters who freeze while this game is buffering on your phone. And one of the big surprises is where it came from. China. That's unusual not just because the vast majority of games like this come out of the U.S. or Japan, but because China's central government has shown every sign of hating video games. For more than a decade, the Chinese leadership has placed all kinds of restrictions on gaming, from which ones can be sold, to how long you can play them, to the messages players can send each other. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about the world of cyber and intelligence. Today, a geopolitical story set in an anime fantasy land. We look at Genshin Impact and whether the game's massive global appeal can peacefully coexist with China's Communist Party ideology. Back in the 1980s, Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping famously said China would modernize by creating socialism with Chinese characteristics. So now, the big question is can gaming with Chinese characteristics make it big too? Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Genshin Impact is set in an anime world called Teyvat. It's all waterfalls, rushing rivers, and big lush plants that, if you whack them in just the right way, reveal hidden treasure. It's the kind of game that everyone can play, from aficionados to, well, this little person. I am in a city that has lots of beautiful flowers in it. That's Naomi King. She was five years old at the time that we spoke, and she loves Genshin Impact, partly because a lot of the characters in the game look like princesses, which she loves. It's beautiful and a lovely town, and it's very sunny there. It's Right now it's nighttime, 
Her dad, Austin King, is also an avid player, and he's been teaching her the finer points of the game. So you, you don't want to stand in the fire. And right now, Ningguang, the character she's using, has a shield that she can throw up around herself. And so she's throwing up the shield so that the goblin's arrows don't hit her. I'm trying to be stilt and be, be sneaky, really okay. sneaky. She's been learning about stealth in video games. That's her latest yeah, case. Yeah, still and sneaky. <laughs> stealth, yeah, doing sneaky. Naomi's job as a player, aside from doing sneaky, is this. She brings together a team of doe-eyed anime characters, leverage all their unique skills and magical powers, and then try to reunite two very attractive twins, a brother and a sister, who have been separated by circumstance. So she's hiding behind trees right now to be extra careful that the goblin... In addition to being Naomi's dad, Austin is also the features editor at Screen Rant and host of a podcast called Dragon Quest FM. This sort of role-playing fantasy game is one of his favorite things. And he's been playing Genshin. Since the day it came out. <laughs> really? Not every day, but I, I've played it ever, ever since it came out. Um, my daughter... Genshin's developer, MiHoYo, keeps people coming back by updating the game every six weeks, like clockwork. And with every update, there are new kingdoms to explore, new storylines, new characters. They make it an event. A lot of games get updated, but not with this kind of regularity or fanfare. I mean, this is like a movie premiere. So there's an addicting quality to it. And, and this is how Genshin Impact makes their money, is that... MiHoYo entices players with a way to level up faster that seems an awful lot like good old-fashioned gambling. You give MiHoYo real money, and in return you get to pull this little lever and... I, I got a sword. Another sword. 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 Oh my goodness. Sword. But I can try a few more times. If you don't get what you want, just give me Hoyo more money and then spin again, like a slot machine. That element of chance can be addictive. (laughs) We've got we've got a few more to do a few more wishes here. Oh got a new character! She has purple hair and purple is my favorite color. This gacha model means that Genshin Impact rakes in about a billion dollars every six months. And at the end of 2022, it reportedly passed the $4 billion mark in mobile revenue. That makes it more successful than old powerhouse favorites like Fortnite and Pokemon Go. This kind of massive response doesn't usually happen to Chinese games. They tend to have mostly domestic audiences in the dog-eat-dragon world of gaming. It's definitely one of the largest Chinese games uh, that we've seen in sort of the modern history. Um, Daniel Ahmed is a senior analyst at Nico Partners, a research firm covering the video gaming industry. And he says that Genshin Impact is the largest Chinese game in modern history. It's not just found success in China, which is what most Chinese games do, but it's found success globally uh, among players in the U.S. and Japan and South Korea. The sheer scale that's been able to achieve is... You know, unlike any other game. Part of the appeal, aside from the constant updating of characters and storylines, is that you can play Genshin seamlessly across platforms. It feels as good on an iPhone as it does on PlayStation, something most games can't do. Let's play! Time for takeoff! So at first blush, this all seems like a great success story from an unlikely source. 
but there's a subtext. This is about more than developing China's gaming industry. It's about what makes a game uniquely Chinese in the first place. Beijing officials see Genshin not just as another popular video game, they see it as a vehicle to export something bigger, a virtuous Chinese way of life. So in this idealized Chinese world, you can kill the dragon or your opponent, but you can't watch them bleed. There may be suggestions of romance, characters who go on adventures who clearly like each other more than just friends. But those relationships are strictly heterosexual. Same-sex couples are not an option. In fact, Chinese game developers signed a pledge to ban content that depicts what they call sissy men or gay love. As a general matter, games, especially immersive world-building games, where you get to set the rules, are a perfect vehicle for China's geopolitical aspirations. Genshin Impact allows them to dress up Chinese communist values, like working for the collective good, in princess clothes. And who could possibly resist that? To ensure all this happens the way the government wants it to, the process of getting a video game approved is notoriously complicated in China. Daniel Ahmed again. Because the regulators are looking at every single aspect of the game to make sure there's nothing in there that um, you know, goes against those content regulations. And the game that emerges, often, is your game, but with Chinese characteristics. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that regulators micromanage to make sure nothing emerges that might be seen as being against Communist Party ideals. Some things they micromanage out loud, rules that the government makes clear. But there's a whole other set of unspoken ones that can be much harder to navigate. This is Click Here, and we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. The fact that regulators in China keep a tight rein on language in their video games isn't a huge surprise. They don't have a free press, and they don't brook criticism of the CCP either. But the trick for China is doing all that without making a popular game, well, unpopular. And they've managed to do that by keeping their censorship gray and a little bit self-enforcing. So there's essentially um, a list of, of sensitive words, which the, the regulators ask developers to avoid in their games. So curse words, for example. Okay, most parents would approve of banning those, but it goes a little further than that. Like, there was this Animal Crossing incident. 
a Hong Kong pro-democracy activist named Joshua Wong was playing Animal Crossing and began decorating his own environment. Then he added a banner to his little metaverse reading, Free Hong Kong, Revolution Now. He shared a screenshot of it on Twitter. And not long after, the game disappeared from Taobao, China's version of eBay. Because of that one little banner, China banned the game outright. Chinese players can't even buy it in the gray market anymore. For game developers, it was a shot across the bow. Basically, it was saying, if your game allows free expression, it's not allowed in China. That self-censorship is central to China's regulatory approach. Jeff Knockle is a researcher at the Monk School at the University of Toronto, where he focuses on internet freedom. Specifically, in my case, uh, censorship and uh, Chinese censorship in particular. And he said it's so hard to know what will run afoul of the regulators, Knockle decided to do a study of it. He and his colleagues analyzed more than 200 games and found 180,000 blacklisted words and phrases. They looked at video games specifically simply because there were so many of them to study. And it allows you to ask questions that we weren't really able to answer looking at other industry segments. You know, like if, you, if you look at like chat apps, for instance, there's generally only a few popular chat apps at any given time. You know, then we wanted to do some more like comparative analysis. Like, like we really wanted to get down to this question of like, do all apps in China censor the same things? Do they, do they not? And you know, due to the huge diversity of the number of games that are popular at any time, this, this allowed us an opportunity to really explore that question. And what he found was that game developers in China have taken to creating their own running list of unacceptable words. They actually share it with their competitors. The authorities themselves offer a little beyond a sort of starter kit, and then the developers do the rest. And that has allowed Beijing to rely on the very Chinese concept of something Nako calls pocket crimes. So a pocket crime, it's this idea that the laws are so vague in terms of what internet operators, including, you know, if you're operating a game all over the internet, are required to censor. It's just so vague that it's, you could imagine this just large pocket that you could fit whatever you want into it. Knuckles says he found that the most common censored items were what he calls the Chinese F-words. There's like a Falun Gong, which is the controversial uh, spiritual movement there. Uh, right. that, that one's in almost every game. You'll see something related to Falun, Falun Gong, <laughs> Falun Gong. Right. And, th- and then there's sort of like the more sort of like, it's, it doesn't start with an F in, in Chinese, but you know, like, well, like what, what we would call the F word um, in English, um, like that, 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 that was also uh, censored in a lot as well. So you have the Chinese F words, and then you have the big D's, discretion and I guess deniability, right? Right. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. In a game like Genshin Impact, China can restrict free speech by policing the chat function. Type the word Tibet in the chat, and the word appears just as a series of asterisks, automatically. This kind of censorship is so common that YouTubers have taken to warning their subscribers about freedom of expression in the world of princesses and Teifat. 
make sure nothing misleading, <laughs> nothing sexist, nothing scams, nothing about suggestive, nothing offensive, nothing that would be too political. Just be careful with that because there's a lot of keywords that triggers it. Sometimes it's quite random too. So as much as China wants to control the language and the content of the game, they're also very focused on how much kids can play it. Daniel Ahmed again. It's always been a concern for the government going back even 20 years ago. When they first started to ban console games, for example, in, the, in 2000, the, the concern back then was, you know, we don't want children to become addicted to video games. That was the official party line. It's always been party line. So Genshin, arguably one of the most addicting games ever, has presented officials with a problem. But they found a way to control that too. So back in August 2021, from today, children in China will only be allowed to play online video games for three, three hours a week, and only on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Uh, Tian Wang. Any parent who has a kid who games too much should probably take note. China limits gaming to three times a week, just Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights for one hour. And thanks to a system that allows the party to keep close tabs on what its youth is doing online, the restrictions are actually enforceable. In China, you have to log in with your ID number, your real name, and then it checks that against a database, which is provided by the Ministry of Public Security. And so that database will ensure that this person is over 18, or if they're under 18, then it'll apply the restrictions to that account. So you know China has limited gaming for kids. Uh, Austin, do, do you think it's ironic that it's put out this incredibly addictive game while internally they're not letting their own people play it? Uh, yes, I, I mean, I, I think so. I think, it, I think it's pretty ironic. I mean, especially, I mean, Genshin Impact, it was like one of the biggest games in the world last year. And it's, uh, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down right now in early 2022. So I think it's one of those things that like, yeah, it is kind of odd that they're limiting, limiting something that has now like gotten a lot of praise probably for their for their country. And now I'm gonna go over here because I think I see something I can fight. Austin King, who's based in suburban Florida, has come up with a less draconian solution to limit Naomi's gaming. She, she had just gotten in, in trouble. Um, for not being a very good listener <laughs> uh, earlier in the week and uh, had gotten some several warnings about it. So uh, that's kind of like a default thing to sometimes take away. So she, she lost the video game privileges for a week. Mm. I would play it like every day if I didn't have it. Okay. Oh, there's a slime and two goblins and a bug I don't know what it is. At that moment, Naomi was flying up a mountain, surrounded by goblets, completely immersed in a world unlike her own. And I gotta say, it looked pretty fun. This is Click Here. Yo, Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. Chinese researchers surprised the security community this week by saying that they had found a way to crack low-level RSA encryption, which is the standard encryption method used for secure data transmissions around the world. 
Chinese researchers say they cracked RSA using a quantum and classical computer. The assumption that quantum computing will eventually break RSA encryption stems from a controversial algorithm published by a mathematician in 1994. It found that most current cryptographic systems, including RSA, could be broken by factoring larger numbers in a more efficient way, something that quantum computing would eventually be able to do. Chinese researchers claim to have done so now. Many experts are questioning the Chinese researchers' findings. The paper where they lay claim to the breakthrough has not yet been peer-reviewed. On Monday, the Supreme Court dismissed an attempt by the Israeli spyware vendor NSO Group to claim immunity from legal challenges. NSO has argued that under common law, it could not be brought up on charges because it acts as an agent of the foreign governments who use their products. The same claim of immunity had previously been dismissed by a California district court and then by the Ninth Circuit. What this means is that NSO Group could now be forced to turn over documents to litigants who have alleged that the company is involved in human rights abuses. And finally, a little update on a tractor hacking story we did last year. Tractor manufacturer John Deere & Company has agreed to give U.S. farmers the right to fix their own equipment. Previously, farmers were only allowed to use authorized parts and service facilities rather than MacGyvering repairs on their own. The American Farm Bureau Federation and Deere & Company signed a Memorandum of Understanding a few days ago. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors. Darren Ancrum is our fact-checker, and Ben Levingston composed our theme and original music. We use other music from Blue Dot Sessions. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, and connect with us by email. Click here at recordedfuture.com or on our website at clickhereshow.com. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.